And who are you? I'm Atu, and this is Radio Zamunda the Dope Shit. Believe it. Believe that, <laughs> baby. So uh here we are again, man. Um doing this thing. We've got a nice streak going, and uh, Yes, we do. Yeah, and I got some dope shit for you coming up. Um this is one of those people that I I I don't know but know and admire. Mm. And uh these are always, you know, they're almost as cool for me well they're always cool right but right it, it, it's again like learning more stuff about somebody which is always uh really satisfying especially when it's like somebody is like yeah cool i'll do it and you're like yeah you will and so i i can't sort of wait for this one you know what this is this is christmas yeah. and this is why you're giving the gift you know the gift is cool but you hope that it resonates you know and with me and like in the environment me i'm just like there's some cool packet. What is in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> What's in the box? <laughs> That's Shout what out is. to seven. There you <laughs> go. Pitt. There you go. All right. Yeah. So, uh, hey, let's dig in. Let's hope we don't find a head in a box, though. Okay. What, wait, wait to set the mood. Oh. <laughs> sorry, sorry. You know, <laughs> you, you got that image in my head. So I did. I did. Yes, it was yes, both of us. Yes. All right. Let's do it. Let's, let's right. meet the person. Cool. Peace. Peace. Yes, you're welcome. So I'm just going to start off by saying, um, asking the the man uh, with the naughty dreads and the glasses, who are you? Uh, my name is Kwaku, and who are you? I'm Atul, and this is Radio Zamunda The Dope Shit. And there it is. There it is. There it is. And <laughs> today, um, I want to bring in my, my, the dope shit I got today is my friend Danny Dunson. And I want to introduce him to my friend Kwaku and our audience. Uh, just say hi, Danny, for a second. Hey, hello, everyone. Hello. Hi, Danny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so for the uninitiated in Radio Zamunda, uh, which uh, Danny might be included, um, the the relationship Kwaku and I, we've known each other for about 10 years or so, and wow. uh, he and I have always been putting the other on to something like cool. We'll be like, yo, have you listened to this album? No, man, what was this? And then we'd have a long conversation about it. Or, yo, did you check out this movie? Oh, man, no. And so we go back and forth, back and forth. And one day, one of Kwaku's friends was like listening to a conversation we had. And she was like, she was like y'all should put a podcast together. And we're like, oh, that'd be cool. So we thought, yeah, let's talk about albums. Let's talk about music. Let's talk about art, right? And then Kwaku was like, yo, instead of talking about stuff let's bring on people that the other person doesn't know that you that i find or he finds fascinating and then it's like a salon where we just sit down and i pull up with my friend and we introduce you to my friend kwaku in this case and the listening audience so this today um i'm excited because my dope shit is danny dunson and before we get started with the whole Danny Dunson story, which I don't know a lot of because I'm, I'm, this is my first time even speaking to him, Kwaku, as the person who is completely uninitiated to Danny Dunson, has True. three guesses to guess what Danny does, and then we'll get into it. So 
Don't give him any hints. Just let him go, and we'll see. All right. So I'm going to start off a couple things here. Mm-hmm. One, and this is a little unrelated to Danny, mm-hmm. but someone told me the other day that like Jason Bateman and a couple of other celebrities are doing our format. Oh, word? Yes. See, people biting. You know what I mean? Great biting. minds, great minds. You know, great you minds, go. you know, mm-hmm. and just like the peanut, it always starts with us. There you go. So there's one. <laughs> <laughs> well well I said struck, it. sir. Well struck. <laughs> I said it. All right. Number two. In all fairness, because we play this game, I know nothing about you, Danny. Like to the point that I didn't even know if you were a, a, a male or a female or or anything until I was like, "Oh, I need to text him." And I'm like, "Oh, it's him." So <laughs> we, we're competitive. Otto cheats, but I'm going to be honest. You said something before we started. You said something about us all being in show business. So I'm gonna, I'm just gonna own up that you gave me a hint. Mm. I didn't. I said you all are in show business. Oh, see, yeah. okay. So you see, understand. Just, yeah. See, I'm actually giving you more of a hint now. You're giving me more of a hint. Right, see, I'm just trying I didn't to get want you to mislead you. I wanted you to see, start okay. off on a little bit more fair footing. So I already, I already <laughs> love you for this, Danny. Everyone else laughs at me. No. Um, <laughs> okay, here we go. So here's my first guess. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you you might laugh at this. You might not. I'm going to put this out here. You're not in show business, so I'm going to say celebrity taxidermist. <laughs> I'm going to laugh at that one, too. <laughs> I, don't, I know what a taxidermist is, but I don't know what a... Is a celebrity taxidermist someone who does it so famously they become a celebrity, or they only do taxidermies for, taxidermy for celebrities? Celebrity I don't animals. Know how that, you know what the answer is? You know what the answer is? Well, yes. Ego? Okay, well, no. Okay, all right, cool. All right, so I'm just putting that one out there. I love um, it, I love it. Mm-hmm. All right, so now I'm going to back up. And so now with Zoom, you know, the audience is listening, but we're, we're all viewing each other. Yeah. We all, like, Kaiser Sose, the guests. So we're, mm-hmm. like, looking in the background to get some hints of things that are going on. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you what I see. I see a lovely shade. I don't know if it's like gray or brown or green in the background. I, I see, I, yeah, in the background, I see this beautiful mirror. Mm-hmm. I see this lamp. I see someone with style mm-hmm. is what I see. Someone with mm-hmm. taste. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so um, this is a more serious guest, uh, guess, not guest. Mm-hmm. Um, this guess is that maybe you're involved with styling in some way. I'm going to be really vague of people or places. Yeah, I can say that is a very loose interpretation, but mm. you're very warm, a little bit warmer than lukewarm. You're not hot, but you're you're really yeah. close to mm-hmm. the area. Yeah, I, would, I just I appreciate would, how supportive he's being right I would, now. No, no, that's it's another thing that I've gotten from him. He's also very supportive. I cannot wait till we go in this. I'm so excited. But go, go. Third guess. Hurry up, man. Third guess. Slow. Okay. Slow, I'm bro. not slow. I'm, uh, I got a process. I got oh. a process. <laughs> um, all right. So if I'm getting warm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh, okay. And and you said that we're in show business. Are you an interior designer? Oh, wow. 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 I'm beyond honored by that description. Um, regretfully, the answer is no. But I will say this. It's a huge hobby of mine mm. that's done at a professional level. I don't do mm-hmm. it as a profession, but I can go toe-to-toe with the profession. There's the confidence. I'm going to tell you what, too. Right there, I got a flashback to eighth grade. It's just like, Kwaku, you're so nice. 
but no. Not so much. No. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. It was like, or my uh, eighth grade through my 20s. Yes. Okay. Participation right. Those are my three guesses. Uh, yes. Really good guesses, though. Yeah, really very good. Are very you going to tell them the answers? <laughs> well, well, I, I, I'm going to say that um, Danny's, what Danny does um, is how I was introduced to him um, through social media. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to say it and I'm going to spit some words out and then you tell me where I'm wrong, because I feel like this is something that um, um, I is hard to encapsulate with like, oh, he's a plumber. Right. You know what I mean? It's like there's a, a, a vast array of things that you do. But what I will say is that you are an art curator Mm. Um, an art historian um, and, um, and, and and a general sort of uh, a supporter, connector of Damn. artists, uh, particularly artists of the diaspora. I mean, he, you're on third base. We need one more descriptor to take it all the way home. Okay. What's that descriptor? What am I missing? I Curator really of cultural experiences. You, <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say, I'm a little disappointed Oh, man. But above everything, I'm the plus-size supermodel living in the Midwest. I don't (laughs) understand how that was. Wow. You know, everyone talks about this archaic curation, this art historian, this patron of the art. I mean, let's really talk about what the real deal is. Yes. Um, I'm disappointed, you know, but it happens. I get no respect trying to book gigs in the Midwest. I mean, I walk the runway with pals in Idaho and Ooh. things. Are you in Idaho that. right now? No, I'm joking. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm totally First joking. Of all, I don't model, but it's always been like this little funny joke I put a lot of times on my um, social media, especially when there's a really good pick. I'll oh, say man. that. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you can't see Danny Dunson, but this dude is so put together. That's why I was like, he has to be doing something. The style, the yes, you don't even know. I don't. I'm just my first impression. No idea. So I I know. You know. So the 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 part of Radio Zamunda, this we're at the part where like, so how do Danny and I know each other, right? Please. So we don't know know each other. I've never met him in the flesh, and Mm -hmm. I don't know how I came to follow. Legacy Brothers, which is his Instagram handle and where I noticed all of this. So I don't know how that came to me. Maybe it was something that was suggested to me. Right. And I just saw all this beautiful art, all this beautiful art, mostly by black people, black artists, painting, all this. Like, so I was like, who? who and I didn't know it was one person. So I say, who are the legacy brothers? Who are these right. two? Who are these brothers who are putting all this stuff together? I noticed a lot of um Ghanaian art, like somebody in Legacy Brothers was going back and forth to Ghana and pulling out artists that I, having been to Ghana a million times and had been looking for art to sort of support and buy, never found these people, right? Like I'd be like, yo, where's the great gallery? And I'd go to something, I'd be like, okay, this is great, but like, I would I I would follow this and I'd be like, who is this dude who is following and finding all these fantastic painters, fantastic sculptors. And then finally, I think I saw a picture of you and I was like, oh, maybe this is legacy brother, (laughs) right? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? (laughs) And so for the audience, like, you know, he is um, just a beautiful man, beautifully styled man. 
Um, I think I've seen pictures of um, your apartment where you live, with, which is a piece of art itself. Like, Kwaku, when you see the, how the man has interior designed his place, I right. think one time I reached out to you, Danny, and I was like, are you an interior designer? Because I'm I'm buying property at some point, and man, just come in and put whatever and do you what want you up do. on my wall. Yeah, because right. that's, you know what I mean? Like, wow. So all of that to say, finally, I think we got back, We I... I I reached out to you. Um, D- I slid into your DMs and was like, okay, bro. <laughs> you did. You yes. did. <laughs> Explain you to me, please, because I'm a huge fan. And then we've gone back and forth. And I, I think know. I literally sent you my CV to you so said, I can give you a wrap up. Like, here you go. Just, it's too much yes. to talk about. Really. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I, I, I saw your, C, your CV and I, I, I see that you're the editor at large, or no, the editor in chief of art. Art, Art X. X, yeah, formerly I was. Um, I, okay. I left that position last year. Oh, okay. Um, but at that time, yeah, I was definitely um, a part of that and so many other things you were probably yeah. about to say. But yeah. yeah, yeah. But 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 don't let me speak just because I've been speaking too much. But I uh, all I'm saying is that from the 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 vibe that you present. Um, and even just now having even hearing your voice for the first time and talking to you, I'm like. I'm such a fan of yours that you have no idea. I just, anytime, anytime you post something, I'm just like, sometimes I've, I haven't even looked at it yet. I'm just like, oh, Danny posted. I'm just like it. You know what uh, I mean? So mm, I wow. really am so excited that you're here. I'm glad you, you, you have the time to sort of grace us with your presence. So thank you for coming on, man. Wow. 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 <laughs> no one can see that I'm blushing. Um, yes. I am so grateful uh, to be considered to be on this podcast. And mm. Otto has been so, I don't remember where it begins with us mm. as well. Um, mm-hmm. I may have even followed you first. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, you posted a picture. I was like, oh, who's this? You know, who knows? Maybe I saw <laughs> right, it in yeah. your DMs. It's, it's yeah, happened yeah. before. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so, I'm just saying, you know, yep, but, yep. <laughs> but um, I was so impressed with Otto's. Um, I, his face seemed so familiar. And mm. then I started to realize him from different um, projects he worked uh, in. And then right. mm. most recently, I kind of got lost in the Netflix series. Uh, I'm oh, sorry, right. was it Prime? Not not Netflix. Was it Prime? Amazon? Oh, the Am- oh Tales from the Loop. Uh, yes, Tales mm-hmm. from the Loop. Oh, and yes. I was like, oh, my God. Right? I think that's a great testament to social media to mm-hmm. our phones and our mm-hmm. FaceTimes and all these videos. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not that we ha- don't know each other. We actually do. We just haven't, and we have met, just not yeah. in the flesh. Yes. Um, but that energy exchange is so mm-hmm. much there still. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I feel like I've known Otto for a long time. I think mm-hmm. I impressed him a little bit. And I said, oh, Otto is Fonty for uh, Saturday Born. Kwame, yeah. you were like, who are oh, you? Wait a minute. Right. right. <laughs> So uh, a little bit about me. Absolutely Mm -hmm. correct. I am an art historian. Mm -hmm. And with my art historical research, I bridged the gaps between global Blackness through Mm -hmm. um, pre-slave trade and colonial encounter with our lives on the continent of Africa, primarily Mm -hmm. the West West Africa, but also (laughs) North and South. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've lived in these different regions at researching and, and studying and also presenting in all those different areas of Mm. um, Africa. 
um, primarily Ghana. And mm -hmm. I went to Ghana as an undergraduate student. And it was a trip I really wasn't supposed to take. I was supposed to go to Rome. Uh -huh. And I was doing a project where I was extracting Black people from the Western canon of masterworks. So I would look mm -hmm. at all these Renaissance images and just try to find that one or two Black person in the background and bring their story to the forefront. It's actually a project that's been done in many ways, many times before. So oh. I thought this was more interesting. When that Rome trip got canceled, the only yeah. other study abroad option was going to Ghana. Mm -hmm. And my parents, uh, very educated and progressive and pan-African and, and everything, were like, yeah. oh, you should go. But still the stigma of what's there, what's the mystery there, the, yeah. the things that have been constructed and left to divide us. Those, those systemic notions that were constructed outside of us, unfortunately, get so indoctrinated within us. And even though I grew up in this very progressive intellectual home, I still had these fears of mm. what, what's there. You know, I'll get sick or um, mm. they'll hate me. Um, mm. They hate mm -hmm. us there or, you know, mm. all of these things. And they collapsed um, within moments of me arriving. And I was there for the first time for four months. And I studied, um, as a student art historian, I was studying grave sites in Ghana yes. because they usually use pictures at the grave sites um, behind yeah. plexiglass or sculptures or paintings, um, photographs, all of those things. And I asked my tour guide, Kwame, of course. Uh, Kwame <laughs> told me, I said, why do all of the grave markings have images? And he said, so that we can remember. And mm. I thought that was one of the most powerful statements and the idea mm. of remembering, the art of remembrance. Mm. And it started my trajectory that's lasted at least seven years, eight, actually uh, nine years now between going back and forth to Ghana, um, Morocco, South Africa, Nigeria, wow. all the way now to where I have a residency that supports artists in Nigeria, um, Senegal, Ghana, uh, as well as the U.S. descendants from Haiti and Brazil. Mm. Uh, wow. So that's where we are now. Legacy Brothers, Otto, mm -hmm. you were not off. There is two of us. My brother okay. is my best best friend, and but he's very silent. He is a huge financial backer that allows me to do all I do. So I always mention him, and mm -hmm. he is the COO of um, my newly organized company uh, or monetized version, so to speak, of Legacy Brothers, but he's very silent. He's not invisible. Wow. I'll, I'll add him in a post, but okay. he's more of a musician, but he really supports me in everything I do. So that's the other brother. We have a sister wow. too, poor thing, but Legacy Brothers and sister <laughs> sounded too much. Um, <laughs> Yo. Yeah, yeah. Hilarious. So... Yeah, that's how that goes. Okay. Um, so I've have had a long relationship with the continent um, as far as visual arts. And I, I graduated um, from the University of Illinois mm -hmm. at Chicago mm -hmm. in art history. Mm -hmm. And then that's when I received a Fulbright grant uh, to go back to Ghana. And I then took on a project called In Memoriam, Portraits of the Middle Passage in Situ. Mm -hmm. And that featured the artist uh, Kwame Akato Bonfo, who mm -hmm. created, at the time, 1,200 concrete sculptures of bust of people's heads who were yeah. captured within West Africa, taken to the, to the dungeons in Cape Coast and Almenia in prepare, mm -hmm. preparation to be sent off into the New World. 
And I thought that was an incredible uh, concept because, you know, in Africa, we don't always like to talk about it. There's more mis miseducation about the slave trade and even mm. the actual effects of colonialism that are much, those ramifications which live today, they're not really discussed as much. Yeah. So I wanted to support him as a diasporian and really bring these topics to the forefront on the continent. You know, there was, we became all of these different titles, but we do start there. And mm -hmm. not only do we start there, we still remain there. And that's what I learned by coming back. Um, those, those divisions, those borders, those, all of those divides collapsed to the ground. And I realized where I was from, even though I'm an amalgamation of different things, you know, yeah. different ancestry from around the world, the presence of my African ancestors, my maybe Ghanaian, my maybe Ivorian or Senegalese. Mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. not going to take a test because I don't find <laughs> that necessary because I know the history. I'm not paying someone just to get fragments of what mm -hmm. I already know. And that started this whole capitalism system. Why would I give money back to that? Uh, mm. I just know where we're from, and I don't need to know an exact, because Blackness yeah. isn't about exactness. It's about knowing. And knowing isn't about factual. It's about knowing. So that's all it is. It's a spiritual knowing for me. First first of all, there's like five T-shirts in that introduction. <laughs> the one that I want to wear is Blackness isn't about exactness. No. No. I'm yeah. trying to write some stuff down yeah. here. Blackness isn't about exact. I mean, I'm we done. We have right to get there. comfortable yeah. with that. It's yeah. hard because it's not fair. It should be. You know, we ought to be able to pinpoint origins and know all of our great grandmothers and great great grandfathers' names and know that. But th there was a rupture to us that created mm -hmm. this new world, that created the modern world, which still creates the existing contemporary world on the legs and the backs and the arms of these people. So. I don't talent. need to go to that world to ask for permission for who I am or even research who I am. I know. And that knowing is not something you read and it's not something that you even research. It is a spiritual awareness and it's a confidence in that that I found from being there. So I want to help other diasporans who feel lost, who say things like they don't have a home and who say things like they're not, you know, comfortable anywhere. And that idea is because you're searching for facts and mm -hmm. your home is wherever you plant your feet because mm -hmm. those feet are imbued with the power of our ancestors, with our past histories, with our contemporary selves. So wherever you land is home. And there's nothing more beautiful than to be at that spot of origin. Ladies and gentlemen. What? Danny I mean, Dunson, ladies and period. gentlemen. Okay, we're mic? Done. we can drop. Uh, thank you for uh, tuning in to Radio Zamunda. I mean, shit. Okay, this is this is our last episode ever because he this just said it. everything. And yeah, he's just, um, this is now called the Legacy Brothers podcast. Turn off the mic um, now. <laughs> yep, because <laughs> okay. <sighs> All right. I'm sorry. I know I talk very fast, and there's no, a no, lot no, of information no, no, being no, thrown. No, so please no. feel no, free to edit me a bit. But yeah, oh, no, there's no editing here. We don't <laughs> no. edit the truth. This is coming straight out. <laughs> no. Um, all of that was, like, I'm overwhelmed. That was the intro, um, by the way. Yeah, that, that was, was the intro. intro. <laughs> and and what, I, what I like about that, I was talking to uh, Kwaku before, and I was like, you know, again, like, I, I love the correction. Yes, we do know each other. We do know each other over Insta, in, Insta and, and the social and the phones and all that stuff. And I think we're two genuine people over you know, and you've proven to me that you're the genuine article as what I see on the phone, like, unlike some people. 
Um, and so I was like, man, you know, I, I'm, I like these that when I don't feel I know, know a person because mm-hmm. I get to learn even more. Even when you do know the person, you learn some stuff. But what you just did and said was just incredible. So I want to go back to the beginning. I want to go back to the origin story. I want to know how Danny got to this point now. Um, I know you're from Chicago. Are you from Chicago? Yeah, I'm, so I'm from uh, about 30 to 40 minutes outside of Chicago in Indiana, actually, kind of oh, like okay. the New Jersey, New York closeness. Yeah, um, it. it is a, I'm from this town of Gary, Indiana, probably oh. most famously known oh, yeah. as the Michael hometown Jackson. of Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a town that is to this day, probably 98% African-American. And I use mm-hmm. that term specifically because it refers to those who were formerly enslaved, then through sharecropping and Jim Crow, and then migrated to the North in what this right. area called up South. Um, mm. So uh, that was Chicago, of course. That was uh, Gary, Indiana, which is such a quick ride. That was also New York. That was also so many other places during the gr- migration. Detroit is right. a big Midwest city as well for that. And um, that has a lot to do with my upbringing and my origin being in this secure bubble that at that time was considered the murder capital of the world. Right. Um, it had been completely devastated by deindustrialization and also white flight. Um, once it was the second city to have an African-American mayor, mayor mm. elected in the late 60s. And once that happened, all of the businesses that were white owned, which was 90% of the businesses at that time, shut down, fled, all of the residents fled. And that type of exodus of resources um, because they became the very rich minority, the numerical amount was these black voters, but mm-hmm. the minority in power were the, the white citizens who ran everything, dictated where you could live, where you couldn't live. Um, they, the city never recovered from that. And then mm-hmm. by the time I was coming up in the 80s and 90s, it was very crime ridden. However, mm-hmm. some areas were kind of set apart. Um, my parents lived in, in a, a, this enclave called Miller Beach. And mm-hmm. that same area, if you were there, 10 years before my parents moved in, you could only be working there as a maid or a driver. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you would have been lynched. It was also a place where they took people they caught and lynched them on the beachfront, on the trees right. there. So it has that history. Um, so I mean, in fact, the very home important. my parents live in was across the street from the home my father's mother cleaned, uh, the white wow. doctor's home. And, they were still living there when my parents moved in to the much bitter, bigger and better house across the street. Um, and maybe within a year after that, they were gone. So wow. my parents were some one of the first families to integrate this neighborhood. So mm-hmm. I saw a stratification of Black lives, everything from someone who was a crackhead or someone working the streets or whatever they were doing, all the way to judges, business owners, doctors. Mm-hmm. I did not have this monolithic view of right. what Black people could do or what they were limited to do. If a police officer pulled me over, I was more concerned that he knew my father. And um, <laughs> like, if he saw my license, he'll be like, oh, wait a minute, you're Glenn's son. And, I can, and that was more trouble than a police officer could ever give me. So it was that beloved community that sounds like a distant myth of the past now Mm -hmm. uh, that I grew up in. So much so, I really thought Blackness was superior to everything. I didn't even realize 
that we had it bad in the world. I knew the right. city was rough, but my whole neighborhood was very prosperous. So it wasn't until I was a full grown man living in Chicago, riding uh -huh. the train, reading news reports, looking at things all over the world. I asked my mom, I said, wait a minute, are most poor people in the U.S. black? And she said, oh, God, what have we done? Yeah. You asked that question in college? Yeah, I was like, in maybe 19, 20, 21, I asked my mother this, wow. and she was like, what in the world have we done that you don't know this? Right. Um, she said, yes. So that's when I knew of a larger reality outside of the enclave I lived in. No one ever called me the N-word. No one right. ever, you know, not in, unless it was perhaps in some type of endearing way, so to speak, but right. never mm -hmm. had a racial slur because it was an all-Black city. And there's something to be said about that autonomy. Yeah, that's uh, that. Uh, that is fat. So, what did your parents do? You, did you say your your dad was a judge? No. No, my dad wasn't a judge. My father was. He did a few things. He hmm. he was in management in the uh, the steel mills there. He was mm -hmm. a teacher. Um, he was a college adjunct professor. He taught oh, wow. schools, but mainly. My dad was a pastor of a church, uh, the Methodist mm -hmm. denomination, and mm -hmm. he did that for, gosh, maybe almost 30 years. So, um, and then my mother um, worked uh, in a very major position in the government. I don't ever say what it is, but she was just in the federal yeah. government. Right. And so that, you know, obviously they were very, you know, they're professionals and that kind of Cosby life, but it wasn't a fairy tale to me. It was something I knew specifically, but mm -hmm. was something I didn't know was that it was counter to a lot of people's existences. Right. Um, so when I got to the big city and I got to Chicago and I saw all of the different layers and different spaces and I thought, okay, things are different. I'm not in Kansas. That's so interesting. You know, it, it's, uh, it's a complete sort of um, the opposite of my life where uh, I grew up as, you know, Ghanaian immigrants were my mom and dad. And we I, I was born in Schenectady, New York. Um, and that's almost all white. Uh, the only other black people that I knew were my cousins who lived in the neighborhood. And so my version of what black people were was different from your version of black people, which which I'm only pointing out to the people who think that black is a monolith. There are so many different diverse, you know, existences just in the three people on this call, the three right. black men on this call. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 a it's a fascinating thing that we have somehow been sort of encapsulated still in this monolith. And so we live in a monolith that we don't actually you know, that doesn't exact, exist except for in somebody else's mind. Do you and know what I mean? And the sad part is the mind that it often exists in is in our own because that's what's right. taught and conditioned and indoctrinated. Like, um, it's internalized that this is yeah. what we do, you know. Yeah. I mean, because the great project is to kind of reduce the element of humanity from us, mm -hmm. um, right. to reduce us to non-human. So anything that deals with you know, superfluous fun or, uh, you know, nature, like white water rafting. Oh, that's so white. Right. Like, no, it's, it's just white water rafting, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, this is that. And if you think of what people say is so black and what someone says is so white, it's right. often something that the, the pairings are kind of mind blowing when you hear right. about it. 
But we mm -hmm. say it so fluently because we've even taken this on, even though it's not our fault, but that's what's taught in this master project yeah. to take us out of the narrative actually of being human. Right. The other, the, the, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. You want to go first? No, no, go, go. The other thing that's interesting to me is the moment that you're talking about as a kid where you are looking around and you're like, everyone's black and I feel this sense of solidarity and solidarity and this sense of power. I don't think I had that until I visited Ghana when I was in my 20s and I was walking down a street in Accra and I was like, oh, this is what it feels like to everybody else. Mm. Where you, for like ah. blocks, you yeah. know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. For blocks. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, everyone, they all look like me. And right. I, did, I didn't have that until my 20s. And, mm. and even at that point, I was born in the Bronx. I, you know, I lived there until fourth grade. I was working in Harlem. Yeah. Very different. But it wasn't the same. Right. Very different. And I think when I landed in Ghana, there were so many similarities because I was in this bubble of, you know, a Black community in the Black yeah. city. But even when I jumped off the plane and got in my taxi and I saw the billboards of nothing, I mean, everyone mm -hmm. is struck by that. Every marketing device used uses Black people. Now, I grew up with that as well. However, mm -hmm. it was for cigarettes, malt liquor, right. um, Grand Marnier. Um, you know, if I got to see sophisticated Blacks, it was at a liquor ad, you know. Mm -hmm. Sometimes Bloody. it was maybe a beauty salon. Um, it was anything that was just could be marketed to us in this bubble. But mm -hmm. I thought we were liquor stores and hair salons right. for all of my life. Like that part, I just didn't see outside of it. When I went to the main malls, I didn't see us. When I thumbed through the magazines outside of Ebony or Jet, I didn't see us. So mm -hmm. it felt rem reminiscent but at the same time, it felt like, well, this is the way it's supposed to be. I didn't feel like I fell through the looking glass. I felt like I came back from the other side and mm -hmm. back to the origins of how it should be. Wow. And so where where did the, you know, you were there from grade school to about college back in that place, uh, back in Gary, Indiana. Mm -hmm. Where did the art or the interest in art come from? And I mean, I feel like, what I love is like we're starting to backfill this story up, right? Like that that presentation that I, I'm I'm being serious. That TED talk that you gave us in the beginning is like, yo, that was a TED talk though. Yo, oh, real I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, man. So yeah. so where did the interest in art come from, and how? Because now I'm fascinated in how the the, the sort of Gary Indiana piece and your specific. Um, sort of experience in Gary, Indiana, um, sort of maybe fed that. I, I don't know if it does or it doesn't, but I'm just looking for how that sort of sprouted. Yeah, I first, uh, I mean, I was born to these amazing, ultra supportive parents who were mm -hmm. progressive, mm -hmm. as well as sometimes traditional, um, mm -hmm. but were very liberal and progressive, even my mm -hmm. father being a minister, he was probably one of the most progressive people I'd ever met, even within mm. his own religiosity and how he interpreted um, even Christianity to us. So we all have this kind of forward thinking um, that is guided by spirituality as well as science. Um, mm. And wow. to this day, and our parents taught that to us. And I was interested in art as a little kid. I was an artist. 
And mm -hmm. I studied at a school called Emerson Visual School of Performing Arts, Visual and Performing Arts. From the sixth grade to the 12th grade, I was a visual arts major. And then by the time I was a junior or senior, I doubled major also as a vocal music major. So I was doing both. And so I did that. And I went to Art Institute for a little bit of Chicago, which is a really big prestigious school, dropped out of there. I was studying fashion design. Then I went to Columbia College, I was studying fashion design there, dropped out. Um, I went to about five different universities, drove my parents a little bit crazy and also financially bereft because they were paying for all of these things, but they never gave up. Um, fast forward, I whenever I took an art class, which I had the skills for, I just realized at the time I didn't have the, the cognitive focus to keep up with it. And um, I would get to a point where things got a little just too difficult and I would just drop out. So right. I took on this narrative, oh, he's just lazy or he's just privileged and, you know, completely takes everything for granted. And I dropped out of trying any different programs. I was going to be a teacher. I was going to be this. I studied so many different things where I just decided to go back to work. And mm -hmm. I worked for about a decade, and I remembered that every time I passed a class, no matter what program I was studying, it was in art history. So I started taking art history classes maybe my eighth, ninth, and sophomore year in high school um, for this special magnet school I was at. So even then, that was the one I always got an easy A for some reason. It stuck with me. So my father um, brought me the idea uh, this was around 2008, 2009, uh, actually 2009, 2010, when the real estate bubble had burst and we were mm -hmm. in the middle of a recession. Obama's maybe a sophomore um, president at this time. And my dad said, listen, I think you should go back to school. They're saying this is a great time to either start a business or go back to school. And I said, daddy, we've been through this before. It just doesn't work. And he said, no, I think you should study art history. I think you'll be really big in it. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. So it was like his last wish. And my father was very ill at the time. Mm -hmm. And he encouraged me to go. And things started to align. I fought like hell because the ghost of not being able to maintain focus, not, you know, mm -hmm. I would start off strong and it would just kind of taper off. And when it started tapering off, one of my mentor professors told me I needed to take a semester and study abroad. And that's mm -hmm. when I went back. And I'll oh. tell you, I'm not ashamed to say this. I was... 35, 36 during this time. And I had completely started all over again as an undergraduate student. I had credits to transfer in. I wanted to start from the beginning. So I- Wait, 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 so, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, time I was 36 or 37 when I went to Ghana. And I was masquerading as a 24-year-old because I've always looked younger than I am. Yeah, because I was going to say, you do not look... <laughs> oh, I just turned 45 uh, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, no, you did see, not. All right, okay. First of all, Danny, you and I are the same age. Um, yeah, you must I be, you must be. You must be a vampire because you look way better than I do. It's, oh, yeah. uh, I'm I mean, just... We, we all look good, but Danny is no. Danny's winning the, the prize yeah. in wow. the zoo. Thank you, thank Damn. you. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, that's how it started. I start off as a practicing artist, then I realized I just loved the art of understanding art and mm -hmm. people and humanity through the art object. So that's how it started, and I went back, and things bloomed. Mm -hmm. All right. So I have, I have this question for you because 
uh, like I read this book and I loved it. And then I sent it to Otto. I'm like, Otto, you need to read this book. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Range. And it talks about the power of being a generalist within a specialist world. Oh, yeah. Right? So <laughs> I need this so book. I'm writing it need, down. Range. You need this book. This book is fantastic. Yeah. And so my question for you is kind of based upon this book, because you've talked about all these different starts and stops yeah. and these different things that you studied. And and just, you know, we I don't even know how long, because I lose track of time whenever we have these conversations. But let's say it's been 10 minutes. Since we've been talking, but then you outlined all those things, everything you outlined, I saw a level of that in either like your beginning TED Talk or what Otto described, I know we're just going to call it that, or what Otto, <laughs> or what Otto described your, um, your Instagram feed as sort of exhibiting, do you, have you picked up on that? The idea that like these things that you didn't finish, but oh. how they, how they influence the way, because what you do is so singular that this isn't yeah. a major you know, it, there it, aren't, there isn't another Danny Dunson in like, uh, in, you know, Carbondale, Illinois. Right. Uh, you know. Right. Um, do, you, do you recognize it, that? It took me a long time to recognize it because at the time I just thought I was a hot mess, um, being all <laughs> over the place, having a million thoughts at once, uh, being able to be succinct, organize things and being able to start a project and finishing a project all the way through, having the energy to support all of these talents and, and, and thoughts was really a major difficulty. So in 2019, actually, so this is post-graduating, which was, I felt, I would tell my friends I was in a fight of my life to get through it, and I did. Yeah, yeah. So, and then one, the first I won a, a scholarship to go to Morocco. I actually graduated while I was studying in Morocco for six months. I wasn't home to walk across the stage. And by that wow. time, my father had passed away. And my mother was like, hey, just go, you know, we get your diploma in the mail. Just live your last semester there. So I was studying Arabic and art there. Then after that, while in Morocco, I received the, the email saying I won the Fulbright to go back to Ghana in 2016. Mm -hmm. So I curated that enormous show, um, which I mentioned about the Middle Passage, came home and my brain was dead. I was depleted, mm -hmm. like the adrenaline stopped. Yeah. And for like a year, I was really just in a vegetable state almost. I was just watching TV and laying on the sofa, like couldn't move. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I got a deal to write something for a very prestigious publication, and I couldn't do it. Months had gone by, and I just couldn't do it, and uh, I, it scared me. So I started looking up these symptoms of something I realized I had been dealing with maybe since the age of eight or nine. And just at that point when it's like, okay, it's really fucking with my money, like— yeah. <laughs> And I, at this point, I have a little bit more confidence. I'm like, I know I'm smart. I know I'm not lazy. You know, started turning all of those internal voices to something else. And I had enough bravery at that time or courage to look it up. And I went to WebMD and came back with this term ADD slash ADHD type thing. And mm -hmm. I didn't know what that was, but every symptom, which was like 100 of them versus the stereotypical ones that we might know, I almost fit into all of them. So wow. I ended up going to a doctor and which actually led me back to the research medical center of my alma mater. And for about four months, I went through an intense study and testing. And by January, 2019, I got the official diagnosis of ADHD, which actually mine is just ADD because I'm not hyperactive, but the mm -hmm. thoughts are. 
Um, mm -hmm. But also there's a lot of skills that come with that, which now I was able to channel. And the biggest thing was the, the IQ testing and things that kind of scored as this term, they said exceptional or highly mm -hmm. advanced. I'm like, who are you talking about at this point? Like, this is all <laughs> and then it turned out things like I had a learning disability in math. I'm like, well, no shit. Like, that, <laughs> I get that. Um, and then things like uh, I have a really bad sense of direction, especially when I'm in Ghana. I've been so many oh, times. Do not. Well. I don't know where I am. I can tell you that now. I hardly know mm -hmm. around Chicago, and I've been here all my life. But I have to go to a place like 30 or 40 times just, mm -hmm. And I usually have to drive myself now. Um, right. Driving at one point got to be a chore. And then, you know, after treatment and, and therapy, now I'm driving. Like, so all this stuff you see now is me, uh, accumulation of all of this journey that's now being able to be focused and distilled and, and placed in really great places. So I feel like I'm kind of just now stepping into this awakening part, but it's always been there. And perhaps the suppression of, a focus and and things like that gives me a greater gratitude towards where I am and a really even heavier gratitude towards my family because they they just always saw me as this amazing renaissance being, which is this generalist you're speaking of. Because yeah. I wasn't a jack of all trades. I actually had these like really great skills. Like if I wanted to be an interior designer tomorrow, I could drop everything and go into that. You know, mm -hmm. if I wanted to record an album, um, something, I can literally just drop it and go into it and be successful. So right. it's wonderful as that sounds. It was a scary notion. It still is, but I feel a lot better with it. And art history somehow allows me to encapsulate all of these different things under this huge umbrella. It's, it's interesting because I, I don't have, um, I have uh, family members who have dealt with ADD and ADHD, and I, I don't have a, um, a, a sort of notion of what that is, but there, there's a part of it that feels like it's, um, it's like a negative diagnosis, right? Like this is a bad thing, right? But mm -hmm. sometimes there's a part of me that also thinks just by based on what you just said that it's almost a misclassification in some ways because clearly you are a capable, talented, brilliant person. And I think that if you, you, you call it a certain thing, right? it gives you that negative connotation that makes it feel like there's something wrong with you yeah. rather than this is just a different way. I mean, I think that's what range also says to us that there's a, well, Danny, you failed as a, as an artist, quote unquote. Right. Right. But it's like, you have so many different things going on that it's just finding how to focus that spectrum of talent that you have it's not a problem. It's just like you can do all of this great stuff. Oh, and you don't have a great sense of direction and math is bad, right? right? You know right. what I mean? And but I think being 45, mm -hmm. at, the, at the time I was 2019, so 43 when I got the official um, diagnosis, really mm -hmm. helped with that. I was I crying bet. in tears because I'm like, ah, mm. oh, there's something. You can call it something. We yes. can work on it. There's treatment. If I had gotten it maybe at the age of 10 through 12, or it would have maybe messed with me in a different way. Got but right. I was able to kind of discern what some, some petty assessment from some outsider who doesn't deal with this compared to a true medical, um, psychological, and neurological type of thing um, and being able to understand how it was wired and also mm -hmm. understand the benefits of it because mm -hmm. I am such a fast thinker. Mm -hmm. um, but also understand those challenges that I thought were just negative permanent traits of just being a bad person. You're lazy. Yeah. You can't right. focus. You can't pay attention. You're not, 
you're worthless. You know, I was able to throw those things away and say, no, there is a condition, there is something, and I'm going to work within it. And that really, honestly, it came alive. The diagnosis was early 2019. I started seeking treatment towards the end of 2019. And then by January, things had really started to get into sync of 2020. In mm. February, it was great. March. Yeah. <laughs> what, what happened in March of 2020? Yeah, that yeah you know, but yeah. out of that time is when I really started to, during that stillness and that focused time for me in the beginning of quarantine, I was able to leverage everything I had learned. And the biggest thing I learned was how to fail and how to accept I don't think of anything as a failure. I really do look at it as a learning step, Mm -hmm. Um, how to consider something in the reality of what it is. Like what, as long as you're here and breathing, how are you failing? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just, that's like saying you took a step and tripped and you failed at walking. No. Right. (laughs) Right. And you keep going. So, and that's not to say I don't acknowledge any of these mishaps or mistakes or falling down flat on my ass or on my face. I've done all of that a thousand times, but now I'm mentoring students, artists around the world who are afraid of doing these things, afraid mm-hmm. of falling. And and I'm here to say, hey, I had it worse than you. And I can actually show you how to conquer these fears and pursue your best self. So it's yeah, all it, a part yeah. of a really blessed journey. Yeah. You are, I, I feel like we have so many questions. Do you want to go first this time? I, I had one thought, but I think it's, um, uh, let me present it in draft because I, I don't think it's the greatest analogy, but there's something that's connecting what you just described um, as figuring out who you are, you know, going to, you know, going to therapy and figuring out what it is as, as opposed to the label that's thrust on you, right? Um, with the same notion of being a black person and the black experience and what that is, as opposed to what's been thrust upon us, right? Say the same thing. I hate it when you say the same thing. Okay, no, because because you totally stole because it it ties into what he was saying. You're not related. You're not brothers because you're so similar in in disposition and the kind energy. And I I just love the whole brotherhood bromance here going on. I'm like, can we make it a three-way? Like, how do I get in this? I'm very demanding, though. You don't want to deal with me. I'm like the fussiest one. You don't want to. But I don't, if I can say something that you're going to love, yes. I learned how to look at life from both sides now. Mm. Mm. Go on. Go on. Okay. You know what I'm saying. And that's what? one of Joni Mitchell's Famously yes. pinned songs and Otto yes. loves Tony Mitchell as Me much too. as I do. Look at his face. Me like, too. Me so too. You look at that, listen to that song. It's truly the testimony of my life. Like she, Joni, to bring some clarity to those who don't know the song. She's first of all, she recorded the song twice in her very early young career, but also again, as she's a much older um senior citizen yeah. singing this song. Her voice has dropped deeper and it's so Three octaves. it's so beautiful but she's talking about you know when she was young she looked at clouds as shapes of carousels and you know angels castles in the sky and now yeah. she looks at them as snow clouds and storms and turbulence and a gray day but she's learned how to look at things from both sides and she realized she doesn't know clouds at all um, mm-hmm. things are constantly changing and to be in that comfortable with that you don't know it's not a factual thing. We're back to that idea. All of this is mythical. But if yes. it's going to be mythical, what are you going to do with that? How are you oh. going to change that into mythical Bro. magic? And okay. that's what that song does for me. 
Danny, first of all, you need to write your book so oh. that we can talk about it on here. Man. Secondly, now I have to follow with my crappy analogy. What I've learned from this is don't let Otto go first because he says it <laughs> way better. I was going to say you were like that pan that people don't really wash and they've made a bunch of dishes in it. Some of them went well, some of them didn't. But whenever you make eggs in that pan and it has the remnants of all those oh, quote, God, like quote, that failed palm dishes. Oil, uh, Thing in Ghana, like no matter yeah. what you cook in, See? the palm oil comes through See? the rice. That's the that same thing. Is, that is you. That's jollof. That Danny is, is jollof. You. Yep. The good jollof, too. Mm. The good no jollof, offensive. right? All <laughs> you know that mean? stuff. Yeah, I mean, the, the cast iron skillets we use here, the fried chicken, it, you know, it's no. all the same stuff. They call that seasoning a pan, actually. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even no, like the, the it, failure piece, the failure piece that you're talking about. Yeah. Because we, this this fits into the op- like the opening thing. What is, is it ever really fail? What can we define the difference between failure and experience? No. Mm. You can't have you know, one I'm, without the other. You can't have one They're without the other. They're inextricably linked. And to have an experience without failure is such a cheat towards the self because you exactly. need to. Exactly. You need to experience pain. Now, that's something I can say. Um, and everyone has experienced pain. If you're just trying to find a fancier word to say, I've been hurt, I've hurt myself, I hurt others, I've disappointed right. myself, I've disappointed others. If failure becomes just a shorthand to say that, okay, but just call it out. And that's okay to speak what it is. Yeah. I've been through some things. And I refuse to just take that type of... Um, it's beyond label labeling, but it's an identity that comes from that type of how that word, the power that's in those words. And mm. not that I'm denying the sense no. of what failure is. I think we just need to be more specific to what it is. And the residue of that pain and experience is what makes all of us great. And you are like the the, the poster child of that with what you with what you've just described. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I want to go to that. That, that was that was. Oh man, Danny's killing me. Um, <laughs> in a good way, in a really good way. Um, what I, I love that theme um, of mythology, um, and it's like we're creating our own mythology, right? And what I what I like to imagine is that we, as human beings, live in an imaginative reala- reality, right? Yeah. Literally, everything that we call something is a is a thing we made up. Society is a construct that we've made up. It's all made up, right? So we can actually make up better things, right? Because we are the actual, the, the creators of this mythology that we we walk ourselves through. And I think one of the things that you're doing with, you know, your art history, art history and your uh, curation of specifically Black art, specifically diasporatic art, is you're redefining the mm. mythology that has been thrust upon us as Black people. That monolith is that that <sighs> mythology that has been given to us, right? This is how Black people are supposed to act. If you don't play basketball, if you don't like rap music, that's uh, not Black. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I think that um, it, it, I've never thought of it as completely as I thought I'm thinking of it now, having met you and I'm going, Oh my God, we're writing the mythology now. So let's be the authors of our own mythology. And and as opposed to letting other people write the myths for us. Right. Can I put it, can I put a a title to that? Mm -hmm. We're, we're cultural actuaries. Mm. We are the ones who are assigning value to everything around us, Mm -hmm. but we are because an actuary, they don't actually assign the initial value. 
they come in and assess what this thing is worth. Mm. Yes. And we, all of us, not even just black people or men or whatever, but all of us need to be our own cultural actuaries. Mm. Yes. We need to redefine the yes. Assessing value and your job is to ensure something, and you are you are work, you have a client that you're working for and they're spending the money to insure it. You want right. to make sure everything fits in a certain budget. So often things are devalued right. in order for that specific client to benefit. And then the selling of those things ends up being at a greater value than what it was or the losing of these things. Now, this is a very true statement because we're talking about my project dealt with the Middle Passage and the three to four million bodies that were never excavated from the bottom of that watery grave, and that's fine. However, we don't talk about them or memorialize them. But over the course of those hundreds of centuries, there were so many of us who either jumped into those waters, um, choosing to transition into another realm that they felt was greater than the earthly realm. Notice Mm -hmm. I didn't say committed suicide or escaped. No, in a very autonomous way, went into another realm. And then there were those who were thrown over because they had gotten really sick. And then there were countless of those who were thrown over. An entire boat was thrown over because of insurance value. These are now we're talking about facts and and empirical data. In London, there were many slave ships that um, were then later taken to court because they had completely, they said everyone got sick on the boats except the drivers and the, 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 the enslaving staff. Um, So they had to get rid of everyone. But you always insure something that's $200 for $400. So they would make money hand over fist and then go buy more. So also, when you think about that, when you just said rap and basketball are these two monolithic modes that we go under, and there's several others of those tropes, what do those things really essentially essentially do for an oppressive power? For us, they are they showcase our talent, our, our skills in both athleticism, which is an intellectual and physical pursuit, as well as music, uh, musicology and, and musicianship, which is also a creative, artistic and intellectual pursuit. But yeah. they make money, money. Yeah. Yeah. And that so the, the if they didn't make money for people who are not us, who benefits from hip hop financially? labels and who even buys more hip hop and goes attends these concepts, these concerts, and then the same thing with basketball and all of the sports world. So we have to look at how we are producing a wealth of wealth for other people who are not us because we have to redefine, not even redefine, retreat to that place where the definition of ourselves comes from within. And that's very difficult to do because there's been centuries of a praxis that has defined us for us. Mm-hmm. So the main goal of this project now is to flip those switches that say in, at all costs that we're less than, we are this and we're that, or that tell us in order to be great, we have to ascribe to something that's outside of us. I'm going to give you a great example, and people mm-hmm. may be very upset at me, but Shows like, I'll give an example because we're talking about show business, Hamilton, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this great historic uh, musical, which um, quite boldly places people of color, i.e. Black people, um, in historical roles of white people. However, um, 
it even places black women in the role of white women. Um, and it completely erases the historical notion of where blacks were at that time period. Yes. And it creates a feel-good serum, serum through hip-hop and dance that makes the historical, um, I don't know, violence of that time very digestible for an audience that wants to forget. And right. unfortunately, we get in a mode because it's so heavy to remember these things. We would like to either forget what happened to us and, or wish it never happened. Mm -hmm. So we get series like Bridgerton, again, where it's completely erased that the, 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 the English, the country of England, here, uh, France, the, the Dutch, they mm -hmm. completely started, they created a whole middle class, a whole economy that still thrives to this day off of sending these people, not black bodies, but people, merchants, lawyers, seamstresses, doctors, teachers in these boats. Mm. They didn't send mechanized animals to right. go pick something. So even our language, we say stuff like, oh, black bodies. No, please say it's a person. Mm. Please say who they are. Please don't say male and female. A dog can be a female. Only a human can be a woman. These things are so basic, but how many do we hear? Yeah, these females and this stuff. No, they and they only use it for us. You never mm. hear white people say white bodies. No, but we say it quite articulately and, and eloquently in our armchair positions of talking about the, the black body politic and the female black body. I'm like, when does that get severed from the mind, which is what contain, which constitutes our humanity? And our soul. And, and our, our soul. And our presence. So we keep working and we keep laboring. We prefer to have a high blood pressure pill, but shame someone who's taking a mental illness pill. We mm -hmm. prefer, prefer to say something like, I work every weekend, I grind all day, and shame someone who's going to take a nap in the middle of the day. Because the master narrative just tells you, if you keep working, you keep working. You just might get like me. And that's the wow. biggest fallacy. It's never going to happen. What's going yeah. to make you better and greater is that you understand you don't even need to ascribe to be like that. You were born great. And there is, that's fact. And you don't need hey. any documents to tell you any different. You just have to take on that spiritual awareness like, I know where I'm from. I know where my origins are. That mythology that becomes very real and also becomes very magical. Enough magic yeah. to change how you, you need. It. You need to be on here uh, uh, weekly. There's um, gonna be yeah, a part yeah. two. Pissing <laughs> people <laughs> off. Whatever. There's like a part fifteen as far it's as I'm concerned. Series, you know. And even back to the Hamilton thing, the irony of everything that you just said is that that music wouldn't exist without the pain that was that was levied onto people. So they're singing in the fields. So they're trying to remember their ancestry, combining it with the drums. And then later on, what turns into hip hop, yes. which once again, and because I think I, I think I said this before, like in another episode, that hip hop, the father of hip hop, is Ronald Reagan, because once you cut the programs after school, that creativity needs to go somewhere. Once you bring those people, not those the bodies, industrialization, Ronald Reagan, um, yes, the whole where welfare, you know, the the, the institution of putting crack and and other um, narcotics within these communities. They were literally funneled in all of this stuff. And then there was a war on drugs, you mm -hmm. know, right. the prison industrialization um, complex. All of these things are constructed, you know, and, but for us, we just feel, oh, 
you know, that's just the way we are. Or, you know, just like I believe that narrative, oh, I'm just lazy, I'm just this. Right. If you fed this, and this is in such a nuanced microwave that it's in the vapors, it's in the water, it's from the moment you're born. If a baby is getting changed in the diaper, if she happens to look over at the box, it's a white baby on the box of Pampers. Things mm -hmm. like that, every bit of energy, you, imagery, you can't even count it. Um, mm -hmm. Every bit of imagery says you are not as great as this. Yeah. So you learn but if you work boss. hard enough, and even if you work hard you, enough, you might get you might get yeah. there. Yeah. Oh, oh, so sorry, where where did um, I mean, my uh, speechlessness is because everything that you're spitting is just like, I mean, I don't know what to, where to go first. Um, I, you mentioned earlier that you you sort of became aware of this stuff sort of uh, relatively late in your life. And then your mom was like, dude, oh, come on. Is that where the spark of this came from? Did you sort of realize like, oh man, I've been missing something. And so like, did, did that, was that the impetus for you to dive into this and then find, oh, I'm going to figure this out because I've been lied to in a certain way, not by my parents, but like by yeah. this, the, the society at large, because it feels like that's the, that's the thing that started you um, into this realm of like having this pure awareness, not just of the, the, the ridiculousness of how society has sort of, you know, constructed this system that we are somehow othered out of a system of humans because we're all humans. So like, why the fuck are, why, why the fuck, why are we separated out of that? Um, but also of yourself, like, it's not just specifically black, but it's also like who Danny Dunson is. Yes. Right. Yes. And, and what I'm hearing now at the, I, I still don't believe you're 45, but I'll, I'll right. go with it. Fine. Um, and, and so it feels like there's like, like there is a, an awareness and then a journey to find who you were in it and it's not just the art historian and it's not just the like dude i can drop this and be a stylist i can not a stylist but it, but I'll, Any inter, i did that too. Anyway. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so what is that what is that i don't know if this is going to be a, the greatest of questions what is that realization like what is that self-awareness um like for you now if you can trans if you can, you juxtapose it to when you were, let's call it unaware. I'm not saying that you're sure were, when I became more conscious of it. Thank right? you. And that's a better way to say it. Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And oddly mm. enough, it really comes right back down to art history. So mm. I I was brought up as an artist learning the work of Rubens, uh, Manet, all of the great masters, Rembrandt, and of course, Leonardo. And that kind of started me on my way of, once I was an adult and returned back to uh, going to school as an art historian, I had already started to think about the museums where I didn't see enough information and I didn't see enough images of me. And I thought, well, there has to be more of a reason because of this. And mm -hmm. so I wanted to start that old project, I said, of extracting um, this kind of uh, blackness, but I was also thinking of blackness solely as the diasporic existence. So if I'm looking for black people within 16th century European art, I'm looking for those who maybe were merchants, Moors, those who are indentured servants, those who had kind of come into a different, more polite form of enslavement during those early days, especially throughout Europe, which, you know, um, that's what I was looking for. And I said, wait, there still is something more. So when I was forced to come to Ghana, 
and actually forced to think back of contemporary art and modernism where we get the work of someone like Picasso. Mm -hmm. And we think of the movements of cubism and abstract work and this expressionism and how it was literally, quite literally adapted from the abstraction that had been taking place in an artistic mode through not just visual arts, but through performance, through um, craft, textile, drama, poetry, call and response, singing, music. That yeah. is what the continent gave to the world. Mm -hmm. So Picasso's uh, Les Demoiselles d'Avignon, um, which is this, this Cubist-type image of these women who are prostitutes, and they use these African masks to cover mm -hmm. their face. And the Western world was like, ooh, look at this. And he was completely ripping off of the artifacts that he had um, encountered in museums in Europe of stolen loot of art from the continent. So I was able to kind of unpack these stories. And then upon being there and looking at something that I just thought was this simple, oh, that's just kente cloth. No, there's a technology to this. There's story in this. There's there's advanced narrative, there's titles, there's a monarchy, there's um, religious um, implications, there's yep. spiritual and, and ritualistic things. And it's all just in a little piece of cloth that some 13-year-old boy is making between two trees in Kumasi somewhere that never had a name in a book, who no mm -hmm. one ever thinks about, you know. And he has been learning since he was 13 because that's the age they might allow him to touch this sacred cloth this right. skill, and then by the time he's maybe in his mid-20s to early 30s, he becomes a master, uh, and then he has to teach the young ones. You know, I realized I can be autonomous mm. in my discovery of art. It was not dependent on what someone else did or what someone else didn't do for me. Mm. I was empowered to find my own and the origins thereof and realize that's what makes me who I am, even in this amalgamation of different ancestries, even in the Western world, even in the 21st century. It is that source that makes us all who we are. And that is not in opposition of whiteness and it's not in an acceptance of whiteness. It just is on mm. its own. And you don't mm. need any other reasons. Mm. And that's what I started to really think about. And that's might where I started even, to base, that's where our humanity lies, just because. Might you even call it uh, an, an independence of whiteness? You know what I mean? Independent is to, a really great word, yeah. Because even is, when they teach it, um, even in like African-American art history classes, they would say, this is what the white artists were doing, and this is what the black artists are doing. And I'm like, why don't you bring up what the black artists were doing in ancient Africa when they're creating, I don't know, the Sistine Chapel, uh, why don't we talk about pre-colonial Africa of the 15th and 14th century in contrary to this? Mm -hmm. No, we don't do that. We mm -hmm. only do it when they only bring up a comparative story when they're trying to substantiate something that comes from a source of color, meaning right. other from right. them. And I'm like, I don't need that. It's substantiated on its own. I don't care what informed it. We all are informed by different experiences. But you mm -hmm. can't do what this group does because you're not that group. It's right. this group. Let it be. So yeah. I would be that person in class who would ask questions like that. Like I would say, they would say a term like, oh, vernacular art. And that's a common phrase that's used, even vernacular music. And it's supposed to mean something like folk or 
genre or colloquial. And I'm like, mm-hmm. why don't we say those words? Because I never hear whiteness called vernacular art. Right. It's a rhetorical, exactly. linguistic term that's used usually in literature and dramatist work, but they bring it within visual painting saying this is vernacular. And I'm mm-hmm. like, how come it can't be an everyday genre scene just like a 16th or 17th century Dutch painting was? Yeah. So it's, when they it's... do a comparison, it's always one is going to be the, the lesser than. So right. that angered me, and that's what's pretty much fueled most of my art historical career, which I think has been founded in this identity of the self. I think I think that's um, first of all just brilliant and bravo, um, and, and I mean it not in a, in a I, I mean it not in an ingratiating way. I just mean like I bravo. appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, Thank because you. it's 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 uh it's amazing to see this journey um or or to be witness to this journey or to be told this journey, um because I, I think that we've all gone through. I know Kwaku personally. I know I think we've all gone through like sort of transitions like that where. We're taught, we've been indoctrinated to think of the world this way, right? We've been indoctrinated to think that, I I remember when I was a kid and was looking at flesh-colored bandages and was like, well, how come, you know, and my parents are just like, okay, so we've got to explain all of this stuff to you. And there's a a brooding sort of uh, contempt that you start to feel when you start to realize that all of this is a lie, all of this is made up and it's made up in a lie that doesn't have to be this way. Right. And so all the things that you were saying about, you know, sort of vernacular art and all that stuff, we have primitive art in Africa. There's no, there's no like fine art. Right. And so it's all primitive. It's masks. It's this, um, it's, um, it's sexual, it's fertility. It's all of this stuff. Right. And, just the very classifications of everything um, is, is it's, you said something about, it's like, it's the oxygen that we've been taught to breathe, right? It's literally everything. And then once you just peel off one layer, you see how deep, deep, deep down it goes. I've been reading, um, and it's, it's been taking me about, I'm not finished with this book, but it's cast by Isabel Wilkerson. Um, and I, this book is, I think, maybe 400 pages. And I can crack out 400 pages in a couple of weeks, you know, you know, just That's reading it. That's a dense book, though. It's a dense book, but, like, I'm putting that book down every three, four paragraphs because I'm like, Whew. And for those of you that don't know, she's writing about race, but she's writing it uh, with the lens of the caste system and how right. this was actually put together, right? I've always thought, yes, racism is a thing. Racism is a, um, uh, white supremacy is a construct uh, that they kind of put together. But until I started reading this book, I didn't realize how methodically and thought out it was. You know what I mean? It, it It's always presented as, well, you know, the white people got the guns first and, you know, it just kind of happened that way. You know, if you all got the guns first, maybe you guys would have had white slaves and this would have been, you know, instituted. But it was it, it was a thought out process that they said, all right, how do we make sure we maintain our power as the, you know, the few white guys in power? So let's play these different people off of each other. So let's invent, let's literally invent this thing, black people, white people. And then there's like a whole gradation of whiteness that you get to be in uh, at certain points in history. And when you see how thoroughly successful it was, like white supremacy is 
is, is, is an incredibly successful tool, right? And if it was a good thing, boy, you know, that would be great for all of us because it's so deeply effective that it takes lifetimes for the people that are affected by it to sort of unpeel it. So right. I'm looking, right, we're all in our 40s, right? And we're all, I think we're all coming to these conclusions that we've, it's taken us a generation to really, really unpack. And so there's no question here, I guess. I'm just like sort of piggybacking on the brilliance that you put on, but I just, I just have to just give my admiration that not only have you come to this, um, this realization about yourself, but you're also passing it on to other people through what you do. I mean, if you just, if you just follow legacy brothers, right. That you'll be good. Right. <laughs> like just oh, because you. what I love about legacy brothers, uh, the art that you pre- present, um, it's beautiful black people. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's every part of the quote black experience as people right uh-huh. there's some stuff where you're just it's just some photo- photographer who's taking pictures of black people right or painting that like i love the i love the uh the oil paintings that i'm seeing and all of that stuff and i go why don't i know as a person <laughs> who's grown up in this era why don't i know these painters right. why do i only know the picasso why do i only mm. know rembrandt why do i only yeah. know all those people right and it's like these people are not worse they're they're just as good i'm just as struck seeing this and i'm looking at this stuff on the phone i haven't gone to the met to see this right. stuff right. you know well you won't I'm see looking... it all on the met either unfortunately right. that's the biggest and, thing right you're, you're and, speaking uh-huh no, no, please continue. Um, you're speaking to the bigger project. So mm. I think you mentioned it when you're talking about power, right? Mm. This is a a fight for power, and it's not mm. about power over someone outside of us. We're fighting for the power to have over ourselves. Mm. And I thought about George Floyd um, mm. so much as this almost Christological martyr, um, in a sense, the sacrifice that we all got to witness. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if you were like me, I never watched the footage. I just heard it and heard about Mm -hmm. it and had it described because I'm so sensitive to certain visuals. I couldn't, I know I wouldn't be able to sleep for weeks. I couldn't even sleep off of the description. And at that time, uh, what was that, June, early July? um, Mm -hmm. And the whole world was enraged. But these we had all these Zoom meetings and different um, panels, and I was invited to this African American men's roundtable panel discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were guys who were expats in other countries dialing in, as well as those who were living in the U.S. All these black men and speaking articulately and and eloquently and all of that, and it was really nice. And it was the Saturday actually before Father's Day. I remember now, so it was in June. And this had maybe been the third or fourth talk or think tank or basically what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about them? Um, Conversation I had. And it was a beautiful Saturday and the sunlight was coming through my place. And I just got got really angry that I was on a Zoom this Saturday. And I said, listen, I love you guys. I said, but there's two things I want to know. Number one. If George Floyd was an out gay black man, would you give a shit? Mm-hmm. 
would we care? It would have been a bunch of hashtags, a little bit of wonderful social media activism. I'm not downing that because it has its place, but mm -hmm. would it have lit the world on fire the way it did? Mm -hmm. And and I looked at them. I said, you don't have to answer that. We know the answer is no. Mm -hmm. I said, secondly, where's the white Zoom? But all of them <laughs> getting together and saying, how are we going to handle our problem against these people? And I said, why am I here? Mm -hmm. It's Saturday and it's beautiful. And this is the first warm day we've had in a while in June. I'd rather be outside rather than us all just kind of mutually showing each other how intelligent we are, how many big words we can use. And it's mm -hmm. self-gratification, as we call it, intellectual masturbation. Mm -hmm. So what? Been there, done that. It's not fun. And what are they going to do about mm -hmm. their problems? Mm -hmm. I'm more concerned about you talking about how are we going to empower ourselves outside of their racism. Mm -hmm. Who are we without their racism? Have we gotten so much attached to it ourselves? Because it, we become strange bedfellows with the system. It, be, it becomes, in a very sick way, endearing because mm -hmm. it's all we know. It's the mm -hmm. person, the abused spouse that's been in a loving relationship. They get beat every day mm -hmm. and they're there because routine is comfortable. And then sometimes we learn to love routine, even when it's negative. The shock of breaking away from something that's terrible can be more uncomfortable than the system that you're in. So it's about flipping that switch. You know there's something different. You know you can make a different choice. But we've done this for so long because it goes against everything we know to go and support the local table tailor who might be the best in six states, go and support Tyrone and not go 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 to Gucci first. Oh no, no, no. I need the Gucci. That's us. We gotta get it because I gotta show them they're not up on this and how much money I spent, even though this tailor down the road who looks just like me, better tailor than any type of designer that I've seen, and his stuff is a quarter of the price. No, that's just this dude I know. Right. Then isn't that better? You okay. Wow, I've I've been quiet. I've just been quiet because I just wanted to just sit. I'm so and listen. sorry. I feel like I'm no, no, it's a good. Lot of rants, no, guys. no, 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 so no. Sorry. This is this is good because sometimes you need to sit and you need, and you both of you. Um, I had a, I had a breakthrough listening to you. So one, you were talking, and I'm going to take us back a little bit. You were talking about the systematic patterns within Kente Kloss, and I, if you know this woman, you might not know her. Her name is Natrice Gaskins. Um, and she does this crazy work that combines art and technology. Ooh. The woman is brilliant, including like doing like artwork, including artificial intelligence and stuff. And so she had this whole article in Medium about how Kente cloths is actual coding. It's like the first algorithms. Yeah. Mm. So as you guys are talking about it, I'm thinking about that. And then you're talking about the patterns that we keep seeing happening. And so you're thinking of these as like loops within the computer programming. So then you have the Dutch and the British, um, whoever else built a castle in Ghana, even though Portuguese, 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 Portuguese were awful. God. They would anyway. literally, and the reason why, Danny, you don't have a Ghanaian name like ours is because they would literally go to a tribe and say, oh, well, they, uh, these guys attacked you or these guys said this about you. All right. So then that happened. Fast forward. And I was talking about this movie the other day, Judas and the Black Messiah. I'm not going to ruin the movie, but yeah, there's a scene. I haven't seen it yet. I'm not going to ruin it. So this is a very minor thing. But there's a scene where the FBI says something to another gang. 
so that they get mad at the Black Panthers. They write something. They write these flyers and they sign it as the Black Panthers so that this, because unity is scary because unity leads to redefinition. Mm. You fast forward again to the 90s. You have the Bloods and the Crips. I remember watching this documentary where they talked about LAPD taking confiscated cars that were like crypt cars, like people knew they were crypt cars, going to blood neighborhoods and shooting up a house. Wow. Hmm. Once again, and we're talking about redefining, you know, re- redefining the way we see, the, the way we interact with the world. We are under a series of loops. Hmm. And the, the, the source code, this programming is so deep that we, we don't even know who the original architect is, but every generation adds a level onto it. And so this final part where you're talking about like the Taylor piece and it's sort of like we have we're so used to defining ourselves in the way that people who are not and I don't mean that for this to sound exclusionary, but it is what it is. I know what my experiences or all of your experiences would probably be catching a cab in New York. And I've been with friends who don't look like us and they're like, whoa, that really happens. Yes, it does really happen. Um, We have we feel, and this is like a hip-hop thing, this is a Kanye thing, you were kind of quoting him a little bit, where we feel we need to be up on this, we need to have this, because I this... I love quoting like, Kanye, yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is, and I'm just mixing my analogies here, this is our quantum leap. Those Gucci, those Gucci loafers will be, our, will be our key to leap home, where we feel okay, where we're in this place where we don't automatically feel less than. Mm-hmm. And that will never happen in the system. And it's system. so temporary. It's mm-hmm. a really quick, like a drug dose fix, and you come off of a high. And when I say things like this, hey, I love stuff of all kinds, but there's a certain privileging to everything outside of us, for sure. Support whatever you like. I'm also in the idea of we are human. We're of the world. And we, right. we should appreciate the whole world. There's no limits to what we can do and what we can have. However, some things just make sense, you know, and especially understanding that it's important for us to support these businesses, these artisans, these creators, these whatever it is, because they've come through a world that doesn't support them at all. So Mm -hmm. if I'm from that same system and I have the means, I'm going to give the extra support to you before I give it to something else. Like I say, you know, I, I say this to my students. I say, you know what, before you go outside, put on an extra layer of lotion. You deserve it. (laughs) <laughs> take your time if you take a 20 minute nap make it a 40 minute nap so what we have to change how we treat ourselves because the yes. biggest device of this master plan which is substantiated through this master narrative meaning someone is up here and we're down here is the the believing it subconsciously and because of that we have interpersonally committed more violence to each other than anything outside of us that's what yeah. the system has taught there's mm. more slave. There's more enslavement through those chains, those mental and emotional barriers, um, the familial relationships, the community relationships, and we don't have the choice of everybody else. We can't do what everybody else does. I don't care if all the white people go and shoot each other up. They outnumber us. So what? My mm. mother used to say, "You can't do that." Mm-hmm. And you know this, or if I was getting a fight with my brother, I'm like, well, you know, I see other people fight. You can't not you can't fight your brother here. Mm-hmm. Danny, my mom would say to me all the time, Kwaku, you cannot storm the Capitol. 
I don't care how upset you are. Mm-hmm. You cannot. She wouldn't say that. But I'm using that as an example. I think Audrey Lord said you can't um, dismantle the master's house using the master's tools. Mm. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. If I'm quoting that right, something like that in my paraphrasing, meaning there's an alternative. And that alternative actually lives within you. And you mm-hmm. just flipping the switch to understanding like, oh, damn. You mean yeah. I don't have to believe that? And then r- dredging up stuff, ratcheting up stuff that you didn't even know you believed. Like I honestly said, I had some stereotypical stigma about going to the continent. Me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you wouldn't think that to hear me say the things I say. I was embarrassed when I got there to realize every time I saw African-Americans break out in the middle of a dance in the 1990s movie, I was like, oh, God, why did they make us buffoons? And then I'm like, to see the way somebody breaks out in the middle of a dance in the central market just because mm-hmm. I bought up all the fabric they had to sell that day and they were happy, and the mental health you get out of that, the physical health you get out of that, the spiritual yeah. um, exaltation you get out of that, the community making you get out of that, why is it a shame to move your body? The endorphins you get out of that. They know something, right? But everything that's that way, we we just have, I was, you know, in, in a very, like I said, my parents are very progressive, but in, also they're very bourgeois, you know, and, you know, we get into these modalities and mm. it was hard to break through that shell. Um, yeah. And everyone can look at me and go, well, I've never been to the continent. It's expensive to go there. And I even heard, you know, they don't like us. And I'm just like, yeah, you can buy Louboutins. You can go. Yeah, exactly. You can go and you owe it to yourself, not to me or anybody else. You go it to, and I don't want to romanticize it. We've all been to the Mm -hmm. continent. There's some challenges that you have to deal with that you do not have to deal with here. Social, Mm -hmm. um, geographical, climate, um, Mm -hmm. everything that you have to make some major adjustments to. These are humans. These are not deities walking around. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in rose coloring everything. However, it's a human experience that we've been disconnected from. And it's not that it's a better human experience. It's just one that you are completely disenfranchised from experiencing. And it's the one that is the most like you. Mm. How horrible is that? It's incredible. And and, and what I'll say is it, it feels like we're lucky, especially Kwaku and I right now, that you didn't go to Rome and that you yeah. had to go to Ghana, yeah. right? Yeah. Because yeah. it feels like, I, I, you know, I feel like you'd probably still have come to this conclusion and you'd have figured this stuff out. But I think that happy accident is what gave us who you are right now, which I think is kind of beautiful, right? I've so, been to Italy. Mm-hmm, I've been all through too. Spain. I've been through, you know, different countries in Europe. And they're beautiful and they're wonderful. And they all have their mm-hmm. special histories and lived experiences. But nothing beats that life-changing force that was there for me there and it was the best ordained mistake i could have ever experienced it's funny you you pulled out something for me you know growing up in like i said schenectady and then i moved we moved to uh, nourishelle which was much more diverse um, and sort of getting that sort of monolithic well this is how black people are supposed to act and um you know back in the 90s growing up or, or actually sorry the 70s and the 80s growing up um, it wasn't cool to be from Africa, right? Mm-hmm. Even from oh, black Oh, Scratcher and all, right? all, all, scratch and all that stuff. And I remember, you just, you know, it struck me emotionally. I remember in high school being embarrassed about being from Ghana, right? Being embarrassed that I had a, quote, weird name, being embarrassed that my parents had a funny accent, being embarrassed that, and I'll, and I'll never forget, uh, and, and hats off to my dad and my mom, 
But I'll never forget my mom, my dad, when I was, you know, I came home from school one day and, you know, they were making fun of me for being so dark skinned and all that. So black people making fun of other black people for making dark, being dark skinned is some deep ass motherfucking shit. Like, wow. And I'll never forget my dad um, pulling me in front of the mirror and saying, look at your skin. Look at you. Look, you're beautiful. You're blue, beautiful. And he's going, look, your skin is like dark. It's like it's like midnight. It's like velvet. It's like this. It's chocolate. And he's using all the terms, unbeknownst to him, that they're making fun of me with, right? Mm. And it when I look back in the moment, I was just too young to sort of like understand what was happening do you know what I mean? And the, that indoctrination that's like seeped into my blood yeah. that black is bad, my own skin is bad. But when I think about it, it's like those words he was using, chocolate, dark, this and that, are beautiful words, right? And it's me figuring that out and not letting some other, sorry, motherfucker to tell me that I'm beautiful or not, Right. Right. But you can say it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, it, it's but I realize in a nutshell, like in that we are all living in this in this water that's been polluted, that we're we, we are forced to to um, swim in. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying is we don't have to, bro, just leap over there and there's the other river. Swim that way. And you got your own crystal yeah. clear water. And what your father showed you to do quite literally was to flip the switch. Using the same words, looking at something from both sides. God, I love how this all... You're doing so much work for me. I mean, it just ties together. Looking at a cloud this way or that way and just looking at it and going, wow. So that's what has to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And the thing is, you you mentioned, you know, it's a peeling back of a layer. Mm -hmm. it is, but it becomes so microscopic, right? These mm-hmm. layers and these shards of things mm-hmm. that have been th- like you would be like a cactus trying to pull each little prick out. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. think we have to go for something larger. We're not going to understand why mm-hmm. this happened. There's mm-hmm. no rhyme or reason really for mm-hmm. it. But all you have to start to do is, I think the the, the question, the thing that we haven't talked about is loving yourself. Yeah. And loving it in such a macro and micro level, it becomes to loving each other. Like, I'm not going to say these things to me anymore. Mm-hmm. And because I love myself and I'm not saying them to me, I'm not going to greet you as this and that. I'm going to greet you in something loving, you know, and it just catches on fire because we don't have the time to pontificate as beautifully as we all had and, you know, academically exegete all of the the (laughs) texts and the reasons why. Mm. It's just, it's, okay, I'm flipping this switch. I'm jumping Mm. on this side. Mm -hmm. Fuck it, I'm out. Mm -hmm. Because that's what it has to be. Because the the water has become far more than dirty and murky. It's shark infested. Mm -hmm. It's toxic. It's acidic. It's corroding us. To the yeah. point where now we got fish with four eyes, you know, fish are eating other fish and, right. you know, and we just can't be in there anymore. But if we just look past some of this, get past it, which is kind of hard to do because it takes a daily consciousness. Really, it's a decision. I have to remind myself every day. Mm. I have to shake off something else. Maybe it was mm. a news report from last night. Mm. Maybe it was the insurrection we all witnessed in January. Mm. Every minute. 
Uh, maybe it was a tweet from our former president. Every minute, there's something else. Maybe somebody um, didn't validate your blackness because you're too light. Maybe somebody uh, demonized your blackness because you're too dark. All of that is outside of us. And again, we have to, stuff that we think is our problem or things that they're not, but we are bearing the brunt of this. Mm. Um, one last thing I'll say with this George Floyd thing, the analogy of the, the knees on his neck and him lying on the ground and begging to be freed reminded me so much of the project that many of us have invested in inadvertently or unknowingly or of asking for our freedom, asking for our, our lives to be valued. And it's not a question of someone knowing if Black life matters. They know this. This is not a question of education. Let's teach our oppressors what we've been through. Let's share Black pain. And I'm like, wait a minute. If you were a white person and you watched that video of George Floyd, drank your coffee, kissed your kids and your spouse and went to work like nothing happened, just because the person does not look, look like you, there's a fundamental problem. This is a human problem. Uh, we saw this happen in broad daylight. We saw someone murdered. We saw it filmed. And the only thing that's making you not go out and just be feel completely angry is that the person does not look like you or come from your same um, situation. What kind of savage thing is that? Why do we need that? So... We, the problem is, in order for us to get up through that permission seeking, this asking for a seat at the table, this help me to get up, the table that is supported by those knees that are supported by the neck they're on, if he gets up, they topple over. It's counterintuitive. It's counterproactive. How can I give you a seat at my table when you are the leg? If I take you away, all of my shit falls down. No, 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 we can't have that. So maybe it's the idea of walking away from supporting that table and creating one of your own. And if somebody from this table wants to come over and join me, that's fine. This is not a racist superiority agenda. It's the agenda of saying, these people are Black and they're human, and that's the team I'm on, if I'm Black or I'm white. Because the sad part is more of us who are Black have bought into the idea of our inhumanity because that's the major project. It's not our fault that we bought into that because that's how it's supposed to work, but that's where it is. So those of us who know have to start speaking and teaching this other message of flipping the switch, walking away, letting that fall down and building something that's based on you. Man, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's talking like, okay. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna throw one more thing in there. I'm gonna throw one more thing, and this, the only thing I'm gonna throw in there is what I've gotten from you. The, okay. This is the very few podcasts where I feel like I don't, I, I don't uh, contribute as much originally as much as I'm influenced by what I'm hearing and I'm internalizing and seeing it in my own world. And so, I, you know, I have two kids there, and I, it's, and Alto's gonna make fun of me because I never talk about my family or whatever. I'm, I'm notoriously incognito about my personal life. Um, I have two kids. One, one is seven. The other one's four. Oh. And every night after bath time, we started doing this thing with them 
because my daughter at one point she came home from daycare and she's like this kid said i was ugly because i don't look like this disney cartoon character right so we and it's like essentially the story that Otto was just telling but it's happening with a four-year-old. And so I started doing this thing where it's like, all right, every night, you know, we're done with bath time. You have to look at me and you have to say your mantra. Mm. You need to say things. I'm beautiful. I'm, you know, I'm, you know, there's one crying in the background right now. Oh. You know, all these things. And so, and what I've noticed with them is that, you know, we're in the bathroom. So they're always trying to look at themselves in the mirror as they're saying it because kids will do that. And I'm always like, no, look at me. I want you to look <laughs> me in the eye and say it. And in talking to you, I was just thinking now, I'm like, all right, tonight after bath time, I'm going to let them look in the mirror. Because it's not enough to look at me and like practice that eye contact, but they need to look at themselves and internalize it, which they're trying to do anyway. Yeah, they have to do both. It's the extra layer of lotion, right? It's like whatever you normally have to do, you have to add an extra dose to it because we've been through so much, right? So it is for you you as the father to see that eye contact. And then it's also look at yourself. And then it's look at someone else who doesn't have that benefit of their dad showing and doing these mantras, doing these affirmations. It takes all of that. It's a lot of work, but we can't be fatigued in that. And the, and the thing, you were listing all those permissions that we're looking for, and, and the one that you, you, you hinted at it, but you didn't say it, and it's just the permission to love ourselves. Yes. And that's part of looking in the mirror. That's what I was thinking about as you were talking. I was like, oh, I need them to look in the mirror because they need to say this and understand it and love themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, And also, uh, by looking back at you, really appreciate what you're doing because it's not just a little exercise. It's actually life-changing what you're doing. I hope so. Oh, I think it is. And <laughs> you know. they may not realize it until they're our age, but it's going to hit them and be like, wow, that changed. You know, that's a major trajectory, cha- trajectory changing shift. You know, it's a paradigm shift um, yeah. to, to do that. And kudos for, kudos sounds like such a cheesy word, but thank mm-hmm. you for doing such a wonderful exercise. That's what it takes. And many of us adult children have to do these things. And many of us yeah. who have that child within like, who didn't have that that progressive enlightened dad to do that, who didn't even maybe didn't have a dad at home or whatever, you know, has to regain it from where they are. Mm. And we can't go back and fix the past. But it really is just an affirmation in the truth. And if you're looking for factual data and if you're looking for this to line up to that, you'll never get it. It's owning that mythology. And yeah. the mythology becomes real when you allow it to empower you in your actions yep. and who you are. Yep. Well, shit. Um, I got nothing after that. Just, um, you know, anytime, Danny. Anytime. Yeah. Um, I don't care what we're doing or who's on. <laughs> I, 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 again, I am uh, I am awestruck. I am, I am absolutely um, shattered in a good way, um, unexpectedly by you, man. Oh, thank um, you. I, I felt your energy, your your vibe, the way you just you, you, the way you present yourself, and I said, um, I just I just want to get to know this cat because he just seems so cool, and I did not know I was going to get all of this, <laughs> and I'm so absolutely fulfilled and and just um and actually got to pat, pat myself on the back because you know here we go <laughs> see you know here we go <laughs> this my <laughs> dope shit right here i, Kwaku, I like you a lot but i yeah. really did you know he slid in the dm you were too busy being in. private you know yeah, man. doing your thing on your island of you but That's you know he was you... out there doing the dirty work of yes. 
Okay, but if he was doing the dirty work, he might have put me onto your IG sooner, right? No, because he wanted to have the credit. He wanted yes, to. You know, that's my point. See, now you know him. About it, but See, now you know him. <laughs> that's loving myself, guys. <laughs> owning myself, owning my own mythology. Okay. Oh. <laughs> um, I could I could talk to you guys all <laughs> night on this, um, and I really need to bring you back, Danny, because um, please. The, uh, I'm no, I'm going to bring you back, Danny. Yeah, so I'm going to do it first. Either one, on or off, um, <laughs> you know, recording Zoom. Just I would love to just be able to keep in contact with you guys. I don't. Yes. It's been, seriously, if I can just have a moment, he's been so gracious and so nice for a few years of knowing me, and I just thought. You know, I have a lot of celebrities who follow a lot of big names, and I'm always just like, why in the world are they following me? Um, mm-hmm. Often I think I have 300 followers. Like, I don't I don't even pay attention. You see what my mind is on. I couldn't yeah. even think about that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I've always been very honored and very humbled and, and, and just completely grateful that so many people who are cultural contributors, those who are great thinkers, those who are just... These amazing people uh, consider me to be someone that they follow, someone that they're interested in. And then if they take the step to reach out and befriend me in any way, I really appreciate that. Otto, you're a gentleman among kings. Uh, Nana, I really, really appreciate it. And Kwaku, anyone who's cool with him is cool with me. So I'm sorry, Kwaku, sorry. (laughs) Danny, Danny, you can call me Carl as far as I'm concerned. My name is Kwaku. What is this Kwaku? (laughs) This, this, yeah. this is hey, this, this this is what this my parents. This is what this is life. what we came oh, up. They wanted with. to yeah. give it a remix for New York. That's what they uh, were doing. We're like, maybe. we're gonna, we're gonna yeah. add it up. That's what happens. I'm not Low even hot ninety seven. Low hot ninety seven out of them. That's and it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna double down because it, I I usually say nice things about Alton when he's not paying attention. But you are exactly right in everything that you said. And and we didn't even go into this, but I met Alton as an extra. On one of his projects. Wow. This is how he treats the extras. Wow. <laughs> so, hey, let's do a podcast. I like right. it. <laughs> no, but, and it's, you know, so everything you've said, it's that and more with him. And as far as him being gracious and creative and, and I often say like, like, especially during like a pandemic, like being able to have this space to be able to meet with, uh, meet with him, whether it be whether we're recording or not, and be able to share that thought and thoughts and have that community and even like the brother, the brotherhood vibe that you mentioned, like that to me, that even like even when I met him, it was like I met him at a time where I needed that type of person in my life. Well, back at both of you because um, I'm overwhelmed. I can barely talk, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it. This has been fantastic, and uh, I'm. W- we should stop it here. We yeah. can keep talking after, but let's stop it here because we've gotten to, to such a great point. Yeah. Um. So I'm going to say, you with the glasses. Who are mm-hmm. you? I'm Kwaku or Kwaku or Kwaku. No, I'm Kwaku. Who are you? I'm Otto, and this is Radio Zamunda da. <laughs> Dope shit. And who <laughs> have we been absolutely blown away by? Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say it's my dude, my dope shit, mm-hmm. my brilliant friend, Danny mm-hmm. Dunson. Thank you, Danny, for showing oh, wait, up. Wait, 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 yes. wait. It depends Uh-oh. on who you ask. If you're in oh. the Volta region, they would say I'm Mate. If you're hey. in the Ashanti region in the, the village of Sinchi, they would say my name is Nana Mensa Abrampom. If hey. you ask in Nana. a car, they would say I'm Kwame by way Kwame. of Chicago. 
So none of this I am so Danny hey. Johnson, and I am beyond honored to 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 just kind of break bread with you guys without mm. thinking. I'm hungry though, so we got no, to yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I love it. That Yo. was dope. Thank oh. you, thank you. Thank that you, was Danny. dope. Oh You're man. welcome. Okay, and uh, we're back, bro. <laughs> wow. I'm just like, all right, who are you? I'm Atu, and who are you? I'm Kwaku, and this is Radio Zamunda, the... Dope. Shit. Nice. Yeah, Danny, um, that, he is, uh, he's overflowing with uh, passion and just absolute sharp intelligence um and the way he uh, again i mentioned uh isabel wilkerson's book cast um in the same way oh that's that's why i kept thinking of the book and i brought it up in a couple of episodes uh of radio zamunda but again it was like i didn't speak a lot because it was like reading her book where i'll read two paragraphs and be like I got to put this down to think because like, wow. And he was hitting me like that where it's like yeah, everything that was coming out of his mouth. It's like, just let him talk because it's brilliant what he's saying. And he's just telling the truth. And um, man, that was, <laughs> I'm stunned. Speechless. I, and I like, I, I kept catching myself because I thought he was done. And I was like, no. Quaku, just shut up. There were points I just muted myself. Yeah. <laughs> because I would get so excited, but I was like, yeah. I need to hear the next thing that he's going to say. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's style, it's passion, mm-hmm. it's knowledge, mm-hmm. it's empathy. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, you know, it, it's almost like this dude is, is looking at a floor plan for life. Mm. Mm. You know, he's got those blueprints. Yeah. And I'm trying to fail like him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I I thought it was going to be a great conversation. Obviously, that's why we bring these people on. But like, I was not, I was not ready <laughs> in a good way. No. I, um, so, uh, yeah, I I don't even. I am so sort of. Um, I don't even have any more words, right? I I I'm I feel like I need to put the Danny Dunson book down so I can go and like sit and think about what I just went through because yep. I'm. Yeah, I don't have anything to add. <laughs> no. And it's like, if I mean, this, I don't say this often. Oh, I'm always like, hey, it's a great episode. Check it out. Like someone asked me like, hey, you know, what's going on with the podcast? Check out this episode. Mm-hmm. This one, check it out two to three times. Because yeah. there was so, I'm going to listen to this yeah. two to three times. Yeah. That shit he said about George Floyd kneeling on the neck. And the, then the tables. And then the table on the neck. I was like, brother, he's just spitting, just, just spitting. I'm like, what the, like, He's just coming off the dome with that. I was like, yo, I was done. I was like, this cat is who. And on top of it, he is so nice 
and so gracious. So sweet, yeah. Sweet man. So sweet. I'm just like, because at one point we're we're just saying like how we feel about what he what and obviously yeah. the listeners can't see this. At one point it looked like he was tearing up because we were just being positive towards him. Yeah. Did you notice that? I I could I was tearing up myself. So I, I don't, I I don't think like, I noticed. <laughs> I was just like, hey, if you if if the spirit moves you, do it. Yeah. But this is the truth, and if you yeah. if you're tearing up, then there's a problem because you need to be hearing this more. Yeah. You need to be bored with hearing this because this is this is how much knowledge you're dropping today. Yeah, we gotta bring that brother back on like quickly. Grief. Wow, Danny Dunson. So, um, yeah, I got nothing else to add, but just peace and respect to Danny. Um, I'm glad he's in my life. That's a that's just a, a dude that keeps on giving and I'm lucky. I'm lucky to know him and I'm, I'm absolutely overwhelmed. So yeah. that's all I got. I'm, I'm with you. And I know, I mean, I always thank you for bringing these people on every time. I'm like, it's great. Yeah. And I sometimes joke like, Oh my God, I hope this person becomes my friend. I really do want yeah. to be, I mean, you know, who you have people who you grow from. Like, I, like mm. when I brought Luca on and I was, yeah. and you're like, man, I need this guy's info. I, I yeah. want to connect with him. Yeah. This is how I feel about Danny. I'm just yeah. like, I, I need to just have that person in my life yeah. to help me remind me yeah. to love myself in the way that he's figured out. Ooh. And with but, that, who are you? I'm Kwaku. And who are you? I'm Otto. And this is Radio Zamunda, the dope shit man. Thanks for listening, guys. Peace. Peace. <laughs> The name of this tune is Mississippi Goddamn. And I mean every word of it. Alabama's got me so upset. Tennessee made me lose my rest. And everybody knows about Mississippi Goddamn. Alabama's got me so upset. Tennessee made me lose my rest